It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 422 for December 14th, 2014. This week, if you've delayed buying a solid-state drive thinking it won't last long enough, I have good news. A new nationwide repair chain, more than 90 stores so far, says it can repair any gadgets you break. In short circuits, Chromebooks threaten iPads in the education market. ESAT offers free scanning and maybe a bit of confusion via Facebook. Efforts to reduce cyberbullying with software. The dangers of bringing your own hardware to work and only on the website. Five minutes with Steve Wozniak. Solid-state drives are showing up in more and more computers. If you have a notebook computer that was built in the last year or so, it probably either has an SSD or you had the option of installing one instead of a standard drive. Even desktop computers increasingly have SSDs, either as the only drive or as the boot drive in conjunction with a larger standard drive used for data storage. SSDs cost more per gigabyte than standard drives, but they're a lot faster too. SSDs aren't bothered by physical shock the way standard drives are. They're also physically smaller than standard drives, they use less power, that's particularly important for mobile devices, and they create less heat. You may have heard the rumors that they won't last as long as standard drives because SSDs can be read from indefinitely, but written to a limited number of times. I've been watching an experiment that the Tech Report has been conducting, and it's very encouraging for those who want to move to SSDs sooner rather than later. In August of 2013, Jeff Gacior wrote, Despite the perks, SSDs have a dirty little secret. Their flash memory may be inherently robust, but it's also fundamentally weak. Writing data erodes the nanoscale structure of the individual memory cells, imposing a ceiling on drive life that can be measured in terabytes. Solid-state drives are living on borrowed time, he wrote. The question is how much? So he set up an experiment with six SSDs, a Corsair Neutron Series GTX, an Intel 335 Series, a Kingston HyperX 3K, a Samsung 840, and an 840 Pro. Gaseous mission, kill the drives. To do this, the experiment relentlessly hammers each of the test SSDs with data writes. Several years' worth of standard usage can be crammed into a few days using this technique. This is a process not entirely unlike what's used by manufacturers to estimate mean time between failure values for standard drives. Tech Report notes that its small sample size, just six devices, is not sufficient to establish reliability ratings for any of the specific brands of drives. The experiment is intended only to provide some general guidelines about SSDs. Now, more than a year after the experiment started, two of the original six devices are still running. Representatives from the Corsair Neutron Series GTX, Intel 335 Series, Kingston HyperX 3K, and Samsung 840 Series all perished to satisfy our curiosity, Gacier wrote. 
Each one absorbed far more damage than its official endurance specification promised and far more than the vast majority of users are likely to inflict. In explaining the latest drive failure, Gesuer wrote, The last victim fell at 1.2 petabytes, which is barely a speck in the rearview mirror for our remaining subjects. The 840 Pro and a second HyperX 3K have now reached two freaking petabytes of writes. To put that figure into perspective, the SSDs in my main desktop, he writes, have logged less than two terabytes of writes over the past couple of years. At this rate, it'll take a thousand years to reach that total. In other words, it looks like these devices will have good, long lives in most standard installations. A friend of mine is the chief technology officer for a company that collects a lot of data. He has installed SSDs on servers where information is written infrequently, but read continuously. That's because the standard environment for this organization would subject the drives to conditions similar to those that Tech Report is using for its torture test. Some of the standard drives that are still running at this location are approaching 10 years in service. And for mechanical drives that typically have a three or five year warranty, that's impressive. A report in December provided additional details about the most recent failure. Corsair's Neutron GTX was our most recent casualty, Gacio wrote. Despite being the picture of health up to 1.1 petabytes, it suffered a rash of flash failures over the next 100 terabytes. Smart errors also began to appear, foretelling the drive's imminent doom. The Neutron ultimately reached 1.2 petabytes, and it completed the usual rounds of tests at that milestone. However, it failed to power up properly after a subsequent reboot. So even though this test doesn't allow for conclusions to be made for specific manufacturers or models, TechReport has collected sufficient data that can be used to assess the anticipated longevity of SSDs as a class. All six drives wrote hundreds of terabytes without issue, vastly exceeding their official endurance specifications. And more importantly, the drives all survived far more writes than most users are likely to ever generate. Typical consumers shouldn't worry about exceeding the endurance of modern SSDs. You can read the full series of reports on the Tech Report website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And just how big is a petabyte? Well, this is the definition. The petabyte is a multiple of the unit byte for digital information. The prefix peta indicates the fifth power of 1,000 and means 1,015 in the international system of units. And therefore, one petabyte is one quadrillion, short-scale, bytes, or one billiard, long-scale, bytes. The unit symbol for the petabyte is PB. You want a shorter definition? Okay. It's 1,000 terabytes. When a portable device breaks, we generally replace it because we think it can't be fixed. But a repair chain called You Break I Fix might change your mind. Nearly 100 stores are now operating throughout the United States, and there's one in Canada. My first visit to the organization's website was disappointing. Individual pages took a minute or more to load, and the store locator was unresponsive for nearly 10 minutes. That's not a good way to build business or encourage confidence. Later, though, the site's performance had improved a bit, and I found the site to be well worth visiting, 
even if you don't have anything that's currently broken. U-Break iFix specializes in repairing smartphones, tablets, game consoles, and computers, sometimes while the owner waits. If not, the site claims most repairs are completed the same day, and fixed devices have a 90-day warranty on the repairs. In addition to hardware fixes, the stores claim to offer software repairs, too. What they need more than anything is a website that works, though. Several repeated visits from various locations all resulted in slow-loading pages, and by today's standards, that is simply inexcusable. A company that holds itself out as having the ability to repair computers shouldn't have a website that requires several minutes just to load a page that allows visitors to find the store. And after all, how many visitors will relish watching waiting for www.ubreakifix.com? for five to ten minutes. But let's assume that the chain's services are better than its website. If you're in central Ohio, you have two choices. Those who live near Cincinnati also have two choices. If you're in Seattle, Southern California, Florida, Colorado, and most states in the east, you'll find a store nearby. If you're in the Dakotas, New Mexico, Iowa, Minnesota, or Maine, you're going to have to wait for a while. Or you can send the device you want to have repaired to the company's main office in Orlando. The company offers an impressive array of repair options, from smartphones to computers and pretty much everything in between. The site, if you can get it to respond, also provides a lot of useful information about problems you might encounter with electronic devices, what causes the problems, and how to avoid them. For example, cracked screens seem to be one of the most common problems for smartphones, and under the Support tab in the menu, you'll find the Learning Hub, which contains a lot of helpful videos. For example, a three-minute program on Gorilla Glass. That's the stuff used by a lot of manufacturers. Gorilla Glass resists fractures, even after it's been scratched. But even Gorilla Glass is weakened by scratches, as the video explains. Corning set out to make the electronics industry's strongest cover glass, and the process starts with something called ion exchange. That's a method of chemically tempering the glass. When the glass on your smartphone shatters, it's the result of tension forces, not compression. So, in the tempering process, the glass is essentially pre-stressed in compression. This is done by exchanging sodium ions with larger potassium ions. So, that means any tensile stress on the glass must first overcome pre-existing compression forces. The result is glass that can take much higher forces before failing. Other articles and videos explain how a touchscreen works, how lithium batteries work, and whether a broken smartphone is worth repairing. For more information, take a look at the U-Brink iFix website. Hopefully you'll have better luck than I did. You'll find a link to that site from the TechBiter Worldwide website. short circuits. In an earlier report about Chromebooks, I noted that the small and inexpensive devices seemed to be poised to significantly erode Apple's iPad market share in public schools, kindergarten through high school. There is evidence now that this is occurring. For the second consecutive quarter, Chromebooks were the best-selling devices in the U.S. K-12 education market. That's the main point of a report by Future Source Consulting on the global adoption of personal computers in education. 
More than 1 million units were shipped in the third quarter. That amounts to more than 35% of personal computing devices. For the year from January through September, more than 2 million Chromebooks were sold. Part of the surge is doubtless a result of the lower cost of Chromebooks compared to iPads. But another appealing factor is certainly the presence of a keyboard on Chromebooks. Educators also generally credit Google's cloud-based management system that makes the process of keeping track of large numbers of devices easier. Acer is the top seller of Chromebooks, Dell is in second place, and Samsung, which is third, is preparing to replace its current line of Chromebooks with a new model. The new models will use Intel processors. Apple retains the lead overall, though, in part because it offers a wider choice of devices from iPads through MacBooks. Future Source Consulting says that tablets have been hit hardest by the increase in Chromebook sales, dropping to 33% of devices sold this year, and that compares to 43% a year ago. The market research company predicts further gains for Chromebooks and convertible notebooks. Convertibles are those ones that have a keyboard, but the keyboard can be folded out of the way to allow the device to be used like a tablet. Other predictions include the appearance of some Chromebook models that will sell for less than $200 and lower-cost Windows notebooks and tablets. is offering ESET's online scanner to all users without charge. Social media sites such as Facebook are frequently used by crooks to distribute links to their malware. The ESET application will scan the accounts of Facebook users, identify malware, and then help users to remove it. Facebook refers to the program as an anti-malware initiative. Good idea? Well, maybe not. Facebook monitors its network and can alert users that a problem exists. When that happens, Facebook offers the ESET online scanner to fix the issue. Users can run the software, see the scan results, and disable the malware without logging out of Facebook. Now that all seems like a really good and well-intentioned idea, but it could be misinterpreted and it also could be exploited by malware distributors. Some malware-infected websites already display a pop-up message that says the user's computer is infected, and the solution offered by these fake sites actually installs malware when the user gives the malware installer permission to continue. So some wary users might not believe the warning message on Facebook, while others could be fooled into thinking that a fake warning elsewhere is real. Facebook software engineer Chetlin Gouda says that the ESET online scanner is expected to decrease the number of malicious links. The service for Facebook users is essentially a rebranded version of the existing ESET online scanner, which the company says has been used for 40 million scans by users around the world. ESET was founded in 1987 in Bratislava. At the time, that was in Czechoslovakia. Today, Bratislava is the capital of Slovakia. The company has offices in San Diego, Singapore, and Buenos Aires.
application called Stop It is aiming to reduce cyberbullying. The application is being used now in some New York schools. Stop It released a beta version of its application in February of 2014, and 50 schools are currently using it. Now Stop It is about to become available nationally. Perhaps New York schools have been more interested in using the application than schools in many other states because the New York State Court of Appeals found that Albany County's cyberbullying law was in violation of the First Amendment and therefore invalid. Stop It developers say that their application deters and controls cyber abuse in schools, universities, and offices. Users are able to report cyber abuse anonymously to trusted adults and school administrators via StopIt, which also includes a cloud-based incident management system for administrators. Developers say that StopIt provides students access to a 24 by 7 talk and text crisis center. Todd Schobel, the president and CEO of StopIt, says that social media make it easy for children to be bullied online. Schools are taking notice, he said and seeking tools that empower their students to stay safe online and on social media. If you want more information, it's on the Stop It website, and there's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Y-O-D. That's an initialism that stands for bring your own device. And it's making corporate IT managers crazy. In the dark ages of personal computers, employees brought in Apple II computers so that they could run VisiCalc. The users could not connect those devices to corporate networks. And IT managers, although they were possibly frustrated by all those newfangled toys, didn't have to worry much about them causing trouble. Things are different today. Today's tablets, notebook computers, and smartphones can connect to corporate networks, and they can be vectors for malware. The North American Bring Your Own Device Report estimates that the BYOD market in North America is going to grow from nearly $30 billion this year to almost $90 billion by 2019. The report by Micromarket Monitor defines and segments the BYOD market in North America. The increasing adoption of bring-your-own-device and enterprise mobility is driven by the advantages that these devices offer. Real-time communication, for example, along with greater access and improved productivity. Large companies sometimes have procedures and policies that define exactly how employee-owned devices may be used, and more importantly, how they can be connected to the corporate network. Smaller companies often have no such policies. The report provides information about leading players in the industry, such as AirWatch, Mobile Iron, Good Technology, IBM FiberLink, and Citrix Systems, and it describes the various product offerings and key strategies. According to Micromarket Monitor, the North American market is primarily driven by the emphasis given to customer relationship management. But when people bring their mobile devices to their workplaces, the result is a significant security concern for business owners and managers. The report notes that the shift to provide access for employees, regardless of where they are, to critical information has accelerated these BYOD solutions. More information about the report is available at the Micromarket Monitor website. And guess what? There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. 
And finally, make sure you stop by the TechBiter Worldwide website this week, where you'll see a most amazing 5 minutes and 22 seconds with Steve Wozniak. Spare just a tenth of an hour to hear Wozniak talk about the early days of Apple, before Apple even existed as a company. Now, Steve Jobs was the marketing genius behind Apple, but this video proves conclusively that Woz was the technologist who started it all. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.